It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Monday? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. We're broadcasting from two different locations today, A, because of surgery, B, because of COVID. But you're there and you're going to get all the information as we broadcast from our Dixieline Lumber and Home Center studios. Dixieline Lumber and Home Centers, fix it, build it. You will enjoy it in the fall. John, I'd say good afternoon. How are you? But I know how I am. I know how you are. We're going to get through this playing hurt. Yeah, we're we're the hardest working people in the sports business right now, Lee, you and I. But uh, yeah, what a great weekend. I mean, a lot of games on the table. There's going to be so much to talk about today. Got a ton of topics on the table. And let's start with Padre baseball, not Padre baseball on the field, Padre baseball in the clubhouse, because we've been talking about this. And now it's really bubbled to the surface. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we've all been trying to figure out why the Padres have been playing so poorly. And then Kevin, Kevin Acey comes out with this article, or is it a hit piece, you know, trying to explain it. I, I'm very interested in your insight on this, Hacksaw. The, the question is lack of leadership, culture in the Padres clubhouse. UT did an in-depth evaluation, anonymous quotes from eight different players, I don't think it was a hit job. I just tend to think it was detailing what needed to be said. Amongst the quotes from the eight unidentified players, anonymous contributions, Manny Machado has a big presence in this clubhouse, not a leader. That's what they said. Broken clubhouse, leadership void, no unity, lack of fight, not wanted bad enough. They said they had eight clubhouse meetings during the course of the season through the rough times. Nothing ever came of it. No condemnation from anybody anonymously towards the general manager, A.J. Preller. No condemnation towards the manager, Bob Melvin, anonymously. But you have to read between the lines. Clubhouse roster that does not fit very well, John. Add into the equation the fact that the manager seemed tied up in knots, inability to execute what the manager had to execute in terms of game strategy or in terms of something deeper, dealing when the players, when the players are not doing very well or not carrying out what he wants done. John, I thought it was a, a great article. I think it was things that had to be said. This is the end of a wasted season. I don't care that they've won four in a row. They beat the worst team on the planet in the Oakland Athletics. Doesn't mean anything. There's still 20 games out of first place as they come home for what's going to be really the final homestand of the season. Your reaction to the comments, your reaction to what you read. Just a number of things. I mean, first of all, it does generally confirm what we've all suspected, that there's something going on behind the curtain. I mean, because it's inexplicable how these players can be playing so poorly. Now, is Manny a presence? Yes. Is Manny the leader? Sort of. I mean, but, you know, I just thought it was a little bit unfair to kind of be the heavy on Manny. I mean, Manny goes out there every day, plays more games than probably anybody in baseball, but they're looking for him to be, you know, Johnny Hustle, the cheerleader guy. And that's just not in his makeup. 
So it makes you wonder, you know, Nelson Cruz was supposed to be the leader. He's gone. But the other remarkable part of all this is that Bob Melvin now suddenly has the flexibility to manage his roster and his lineup the way he wants because Preller and his boys are backing off. And now Melvin's showing him how he can make it work. So I don't know. I, I, I read the whole thing and I thought, it it does explain things. You know, AC's doing his digging, but AC's always been kind of a what's the right word? When he was the beat reporter for the Chargers, he was the uh, you know the, the the ownership boy. You know that kind of towed the co- the company line. I'm not sure what he's doing here. Well, some would use the word agenda. Um, my gut feel is this story has to be covered. Has to be covered in depth front office is not talking to anybody. The coaches have not been allowed to have any dealings with the media at all. It's a closed shop. End of the day, it's A.J. Preller's team, A.J. Preller's roster, A.J. Preller's contracts. There has to be accountability at the end of the season for what this turns out to be just really, really poor. So that's where we are with the makeup with the Padres as they limp home. I'll be interested to see how many empty seats there are. The final homestand giveaways are over with (laughs) winning is obviously no longer a factor. Well, what's accountability? I mean, what do you expect Peter Seidler to do here? I mean, if you were king for a day, what would you do to hold these guys accountable? Because of the contract Peter Seidler gave the general manager, he's not going to fire Preller and eat four years of a contract. Melvin's on a contract. I don't think he'll be the fall guy. They're going to have to retool, retrench the bottom of the roster. Burning question, do they trade Soto? Would they dare entertain an offer from Machado? Obviously, they got to fix the back end of the roster. They got to go get more players. And now there has to really be some concern, John, just about the physical wear and tear that all these starts over the last group of years is the toll it's taken on Hugh Darvish and, and Joe Musgrove. Uh, they, they have a huge offseason ahead of them. But if you're asking me, I don't think they're going to blow up the front office or blow out the manager. I do think they're going to have to make some significant roster changes. But that that's another topic for another right. podcast, aside from our Monday bonus podcast. We go from that story. So the other team that's got world of hurt problems, yeah, the Angels. I know there. I know Otani cleared out his locker, and everyone was freaking out. Is is this the end of Otani with the LA Angels? What's your angle here, Lee? Well, there's a lot of bad vibes uh, in that clubhouse right now, and they've been devastated by the injuries. It's just absolute wreckage. What Phil Nevin has to manage, John, here at the end of the season. Otani had pain that returned. After all the rehab he was doing for the quad, that's when the decision was made to shut him down, put him on the disabled list, end his season. The decision was made by his physicians that CAA, his agency, had hired, not the Angels. The agency is running everything as it relates to Otani. It's like he's he's a rental and had the club has no say in anything, not how he prepares himself for the season, not the dual position situation. We discussed this a couple of weeks ago. He's just physically broken down, and the oblique injury had never healed. I'm told that he's having a plasma platelet injection. There will be stem cell uh, injections to try to fast-forward recovery from the tear in the elbow ligament. 
but his agent a week ago indicated there will be some form of surgery, John. And whether that is the full Tommy John or the newfound brace surgery, he is not going to pitch in the beginning of the next season. If it's a brace, maybe he comes back midseason to pitch. If it's the full Tommy John, he's going to miss the start of the season in rehab, but he will be able to designate hit sometime during the year. So that's the Otani situation. But it's shocking if you walk in the Angel Clubhouse, as his teammates did, and see his locker empty. That's really shocking uh, because he was always a presence there until the point he just could not even take swings any longer because of the oblique. On top of that, uh, Anthony Rendon, and I don't know where this relationship is going to go, but this does not look good uh, for the Angels front office. He's had five different medical opinions for what was a deep bone bruise on the shin. They find out now it's a fractured tibia. And mm. again, they're, they're running for cover saying we took x-rays and x-rays and x-rays, and it did not show it because of swelling and all that. And then finally, they went to a different doctor, a fifth medical opinion. And he says there is a fracture at the lower part of the tibia. That's why this pain has not gone away. Uh, he's he's got a lot of bridge to repair because the way he's treated people in the Angel Clubhouse, what he's in, uh, dealt with with the media, he's really been hostile. How he's just acted as a supposed team leader is is really a negative. Um, you know, his his closing comment was, "You in the media now satisfied? Now you know how hurt I was. Are you now satisfied?" Now, you know, this was a couple of days after talking to all the media. I don't have to deal with you. I'm on the DL. I just It's just a bad look for the Angels organization, their doctors, and now obviously Rendon. Get this stat. Anthony Rendon, John, has missed 338 games in three years. Oh and you know, he's signed a mega five-year contract, and they're still on the hook for a load of money. And if that's not enough, this whole Mike Trout situation is still out there. Now the Angels have indicated if Mike Trout comes to us, and request to be traded, we will try to facilitate the trade to put him on a winning team. You know, the Angels, by the time we get to the winter baseball meetings, John, may resemble Three Mile Island. Nobody <laughs> left, nothing around. What a disaster uh, the franchise has become. So that's the Angels story. You're sitting out there in left field with COVID. You tell me your, your thoughts, Otani, Rendon, and how you handle the trout issue if you were king. If I were king. Well, first of all, my new nickname for Anthony Rendon is Angry Bob. I mean, that guy. I mean, did you see the way he like came down on that fan in spring training and all that? But I think he fouled that ball off his shin in a Padre Angel game, if I yes. recall. So, yeah, he's been out for a while. And you answered my question I had earlier. You know, I guess he has two more years left on that deal. But this Angels franchise is just a disaster. So imagine Otani gone. Let's say they trade Trout. I mean, Rendon's still on the hook, I guess. No one's going to take that guy. I mean, the Angels may start to resemble the Oakland A's a little bit here, the way that they're trending. But at least they said what I think is the right thing. If, if Trout wants out, you know, you should accommodate the guy. He's been a loyal, good employee for the organization, and you've got to do the right thing for him. While we're changing the roster, can we change owners, too? Okay, thank you very much. Okay, we go from Major League Baseball on our Monday bonus podcast. Let's talk NFL football. Are you ready? Oh, am I ready? Oh, my God. The NFL over the weekend, the Chargers once again are charging. They lose to Tennessee. 
they lose a big lead to Tennessee. They stop playing defense against Tennessee. And results Sunday in Nashville, just like the opening game and result against Miami, the Chargers are 0-2. And we saw something Sunday afternoon we have never, ever seen. Brandon Staler, the coach, erupted at the Charger media, the beat writers, for asking specific questions about the inability of this team to play defense and then bringing back the fact that this team failed defensively in blowing the 27-0 lead in the loss to Jacksonville in the playoffs, and he went off on a tangent. On top of that, the scoreboard does not lie. The Chargers are 0-2 this season. The Chargers under Brandon Staley have blown 10-point leads five times under Brandon Staley. I mean, double-digit leads turned into losses five times. Not good. Uh, so they had an 11-0 lead. They held Tennessee to eight yards in the first three possessions, and then they fell apart. They sacked Ryan Tannehill three times early, and they fell apart. They gave up 49 and 70-yard passes, flashbacks to Miami, and they fell apart again. They allowed Tennessee which does not have an explosive offense, is more of a banger and plotter offense led by Derrick Henley. They allowed Tennessee to have pass plays of 20, 49, and 75 yards, and they wasted a five-sack game. And by the way, when the Chargers had the ball, Justin Herbert took three brutal sacks in blitz pickups. On top of that, the Chargers had three major personal foul penalties that fueled three different Tennessee scoring drives. It was a disaster. And then at the end of the game, Brandon Staley got angrier and angrier. How do you think they feel in the locker room? Why would you ever ask a question like that? Uh, Oh, the Jacksonville story. That's a convenient story for you guys in the media. There's no truth in it at all. Guys, 19 and 19 is a head coach. This thing is coming off the rails. Now, that being said, I don't think Team Spanos will fire Brandon Staley. But Brandon Staley has not come as advertised. What was on the front page of his resume sure has never been delivered to SoFi Stadium. John, it's your turn to vent. Yeah, so the defensive genius is just getting burned. I mean, it is unbelievable the way to see those DBs just getting lit up by Ryan Tannehill. I mean, who's definitely in the bottom half of the quarterback stack ranking. Um, this is a disgrace. And, you know, I saw the press conference when he was getting all riled up when they were asking about Jacksonville, but it's a fair question because the pattern keeps repeating. But, you know, Lee, you said in the beginning of the year that you thought this offense was going to be better than Rivers and Tomlinson and Gates and my gosh maybe even better than Eric Coriel well you know they're they're living up to the defense that you predicted they're giving up like 35 points a game but they're not scoring 42 or 49 a game so you know there's problems on both sides of the ball here they really are and I think that that's a surprise to me because I thought they'd be more explosive and more down the field under Kellen Moore in the first two games, and that has not happened yet. Uh, now, I've seen some creative things they've done with formations and using a lot of different people in pass routes and packages, and they do complete passes to a wide variety of guys, and guys are getting open because they're running some really complex stuff that confuses defenses. But they're not going down the field. They have not hit, hit big pass plays yet. Now, 
we're two games into it, but pal, when you're 0-2 out of the gate, that's that's not a good look. No, Let's talk not. about the other team across the hallway at SoFi Stadium. Yeah, talking about 0-2 out of the gate. So the Rams, the 49ers, my childhood team, the big rivalry, and it seems like the 49er fans took over SoFi Stadium. Or were they up in Santa Clara? I don't know. What was it? Uh, that was a sea of red okay. that washed ashore in Los Angeles. Yes. Spilled into SoFi Stadium. I turned that thing on, and I looked at it, and I said, I can't believe how much red there is in the stadium. You could hardly <laughs> see any blue. So Rams fan obviously sold their tickets to 49er man. Just absolutely stunning. Well, they played hard. They they had the lead in the game, which really surprised me. But it all caught up to them, and then the offense kind of went away. There was at one point, Matthew Stafford was 14 for 16 out of the gate throwing the football. He was really impressive. And he had he had another very impressive game, 307, two touchdowns. He did throw two picks. This young wide receiver has been amazing. Bukanakis, 15 catches yesterday for 147 yards. But they couldn't keep a lid on Brock Purdy, finished with 206 throwing. Christian McCaffrey, 116 running. Debo Samuel went crazy in the second half, catching balls, running the football out of spread formations, and San Francisco wins. So the Rams did beat Seattle. The Rams do lose at the end here. Now they got another problem. Doctors are not solving the Cooper Cup hamstring injury. They, they think it's got an issue with core. And I'll tell you what, that's bad because if they have to go in and do some type of hamstring surgery or core surgery, John, we're talking extended layoff for yeah. Cooper Cup. And the other thing is now they're running back. Cam Akers, who's had a very spotty career, personality clashes with the coaches, upset with McVay, how he's not being used a certain way. He was demoted yesterday, did not play. And the report on a Monday is they put him back on the trading block. And this was a high draft pick who's got great skill. So if they're going to have to go with this guy moved out of here and traded somewhere else, you're not going to have acres and you're not going to have cup. And what chance then does Matthew Stafford have to succeed as the Rams quarterback? So, yeah, they lose a game. It looks like they're losing another player. If they've not already lost Cooper Cup for maybe half the season, if they have to operate, this this is just a bad set of circumstances. Well, we knew going in that the Rams were really going to be like probably a four-win team, maybe a five-win team. But I'm asking the question, is L.A. an NFL town? You know, I mean, because they're not filling that stadium with Rams fans. That It seemed that when there was no NFL team in Los Angeles, the fans in L.A. were happy because they got to see more games on TV. I mean, what's your take? Well, it was a problem that plagued the Chargers. You know, the, the first group of years and the Chargers were really not that competitive. And fans would come in and buy up all the tickets. I remember Raider games where silver and black was the color of the day at the Chargers Stadium. And then obviously when Green Bay came in here and Pittsburgh came in here, a black and gold and a Kansas City fan wearing red. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Now it's happening to the Rams. So are, are the football fans in L.A. fair weather fans? That's probably a basis for an argument another time on a, on another Monday bonus podcast. But, yeah, I, I think you have to raise that question because what I saw yesterday, I never, ever thought I'd ever see for, quote, the Rams. You know, the Rams who won a Super Bowl for their fans in Los Angeles, those Rams fans sold their tickets. Hey, our Monday bonus podcast is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Fix it, build it, and enjoy it.
Let's talk about your NFL headlines that you want to post there, John. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just did a, a look. Three of the top six highest paid quarterbacks are now running 0-2 teams, Lee. I mean, what, a, what this is unbelievable. Okay, let's talk about who's hot, first of all. Tua Tagovailoa tears apart Bill Belichick's defense. Now, Miami wins in New England after having won here against the Chargers. Now, that's a pretty impressive 2-0 start. But Belichick employed weird defensive formations, and Tua beat him at it. He beat him at his own game. <laughs> Belichick said, okay, you want to throw? We're going to take away all the underneath stuff. We're going to go three safeties instead of linebackers. And we're going to put guys in the box to come after you. And Tua was methodical. He completed short passes to Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, his tight ends, etc. And then, And then Miami said, okay, Bill, you're going to play that? We're going to run Mostert. Raheem Mostert, who's a physical runner, busted for 121 yards. And the minute he got to the second level, there was all kinds of open space, but suddenly there were no linebackers. They'd been replaced by Belichick's three safeties. I mean, it was amazing. So Miami out-schemed them, Tua outperformed them, and Tiger Biola comes up with a win. Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, 291 all-purpose yards against Cincinnati. Ravens added a buck 78 rushing. Joe Burrow threw for over 200. Still does not look right, and now we know. He tweaked his calf early in the game Sunday against Baltimore. So he's injured this calf now twice in about a seven-week span. And as you allude to, Cincinnati's off to an 0-2 start. Buffalo stomped the Raiders. Josh Allen looked like old-time Josh Allen. Footwork was settled, quit moving the pocket, quit calling off balancing, uh, quit, quit throwing crossing passes across his body. He was really under control. Josh Allen, 31 of 37 against the Raiders, 274 yards, three touchdowns. And I had said in our preview, one of the things I thought would be different about Buffalo this year was a power running game. James Cook, 123 yards, gashing the Raiders. And the Raiders looked terrible. Uh, Josh Jacobs, here's a stat for you. This is a stat of all time. Their big money running back, nine carries, Minus two. Buffalo plays good defense. <laughs> Stop laughing at the silver and bleak. That's sacrilegious. Uh, so, I mean, the Raiders, Raiders can't defend anybody. Josh Allen just tore their secondary apart. No pass rush. Raiders got all kinds of problems with Chandler Jones and mental health. Now Devontae Adams got a concussion. He comes out of the game. I don't know. Is the Raiders season over before it ever got started just because they don't have a full roster? Uh, interesting matchup. Battle of number one draft pick quarterbacks, Colts, Houston Texans, Anthony Richardson, two touchdown runs early for Indy, 15 and 18 yards, spread the ball, got hurt, concussion, gone. Uh, C.J. Stroud, this is quite a, quite a mark, 384 yards passing, two touchdowns for the Houston Texans. Wow. Number one draft pick. Broncos, they blow an 18-point lead. 18, and they lose to the Washington Commanders. Now, Russell Wilson can't do it by himself. He threw for and ran for 358 yards, two scores, had touchdown passes of 50 and 60 yards to back up wide receivers. He ran for 58 more, 
but they lost two more players. They lose their defensive end, Frank Clark, with a hip. They lose Greg Dulcich, who is a top tight end. They've both gone on IR. Uh, Dulcich has got a chronic hamstring problem. So Denver, Denver's running out of players, and I don't care how great Sean Payton's resume is, and I don't care how great Russell Wilson, the new-look Russell Wilson or Payton is. They can't do it by themselves. They've lost so many players because of injuries. So Denver is a mess. So those are some of the who's hot, who's not teams that I'm talking about. How about you? Yeah, the, the I was very impressed with Miami and Tua. Not not just the way he played the game, but the post-game interview. I mean, did you see him? He was on national TV, and the dude is a very mature young man. And I, and I just was really impressed by him. Makes me wonder, you know, who's the better QB, Tua or Herbert? You know, I mean, you could probably say Tua's outperforming him, but you know, I, I love the Patriots wearing those throwback unis from the Steve Grogan, but Jim Plunkett days. That was great. That was fun. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what a season. I mean, I was really looking forward to Anthony Richardson. How long is he going to be out with this concussion? Well, he's in concussion protocol, and that'll probably be Wednesday or Thursday before we'll get a determination whether he can practice. But he took a knock down on the goal line. And as we said, this is a dynamic, athletic, big guy. Well, your quarterbacks can't run in the NFL, and they're going to get hurt. And that's a big issue. Do you think Sean Payton wishes he had a different quarterback than Russell Wilson? or Because that was kind of part of the package deal when he came in, right? I don't think he wishes that. I think he wishes he had a full roster. You know, John, John, he's lost now his three of his top four wide receivers. He's now lost his tight end. His running back, Javante Williams, coming off knee surgery rehab, has not run for more than 50 yards in either of the first two games. Doesn't have his top linebacker, Baron Browning. Now he's lost Frank Clark, the defensive end. He lost one of his cornerbacks. He just does not have a full starting 22. That's a, that's a big issue. Okay, we get to halftime. Time for me to remind you our Monday bonus podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center stores. Hey, get fall project savings right now at Dixie Line Lumber. There are nine locations to serve you. Does not matter what type of project you're doing, inside or outside. From power tools to paint to wallpaper to doors to windows to decking to lighting to lumber. You name it, they got it. Check out the fall values and the ad promotions at DixieLine.com. Dixie Line, fix it. Build it and enjoy it. For the second half of our Monday bonus podcast, John Fireworks, Colorado, Colorado State. Wow. Wow. That was a great game. It was really entertaining. You know, um, I, again, I just love everything about Coach Prime. Did you see his interview on 60 Minutes on Sunday? It was terrific. But that game was a lot closer than I expected it to be. Yeah, the Buffaloes are 3-0 and on the season. It was a game marred by insults, a game that turned into an alley fight. 26 penalties, 262 yards and ejections. 
Uh, I thought there was an awful lot of cheap stuff going on. I thought the, the referees let the game get out of control. I thought it was a bad optic to see the game played the way it was played. Rams had an 11-point lead. Buffalo scored on four possessions in a row at the end. Shadur Sanders, 348 yards, four touchdowns. Terrible vicious hit that has badly injured Travis Hunter. Uh, the Colorado superstar was in the hospital Saturday night. Uh, Bray Nicolosi threw for 363 for CSU. Three touchdowns, three picks. Torrey Horton had 16 catchers for 153. It was wild. It started with a sunglass controversy, then it spilled into a street fight. It was a bad look. That's the way Colorado is playing football right now. And I guess the nation's enthralled by it. Yeah, I mean, this is unbelievable. But it's a what a loss, a losing Hunter. I heard it was a lacerated liver, which sounds awful. But now they... They, they got to go to SC or they have to go to Oregon and then come home for SC without their top uh, wide guys. So that's a big problem. Yeah. yeah I mean, they, they've got three rugged Pac-12 games just ahead. From that, let's talk about the hometown team. San Diego State loses badly to Oregon State. And that headline is right there. Is San Diego State ready for the Mountain West Conference? The Beavers bashed them. Six sacks, nine tackles for losses. Quarterback took 12 hits. There were seven pressures on Jalen Maiden. He deserves a medal of honor for getting up off the field and coming back to fight again. Four drop passes, two players open in the end zone. He overthrew them, two missed field goals. Defense gave up 475 after giving up 550 to UCLA. Now they got to play Boise State Air Force back-to-back. My gut feel, though, they're not going to face the kind of talent they just faced the last two weeks as they move into the conference. And I've seen enough from Ryan Lindley's offense that Lakes makes me to believe that these guys are going to be prolific at the Mountain West Conference level. Now, the defense is going to have to get better to slow down some of the uh, passing quarterbacks in the league. But they're 2-2. Two and two. I'm not pushing panic buttons. I do think they'll be better in conference than we've seen the last two Saturdays. But, yeah, UCLA ran rough shot and the Beavers bashed them. Yeah, well, I, I thought the Aztecs were kind of hanging around longer than I expected. They had a lot of opportunities. I mean, that was a game it, th- that there was a pathway to an upset. But, yeah, in the end, they just need to be competitive in the Mountain West. You know, especially in this era of NIL, they've lost some of their really high-end top players also to the NFL. So let's just take care of business against Boise and move forward from there. Boise Air Force, they win these two. They'll be in the driver's seat in the conference, but they have to win these two. Uh, let's go to the NHL. This is an ugly story. Yeah, apparently uh, the coach got fired or pushed out. What, what's going on here, Lee? Dateline, Columbus Blue Jackets. The name, Mike Babcock, head coach, fired without coaching a job in Columbus. Players went public last week and said in their entry meetings with Mike Babcock, he asked the players to show him the pictures in their cell phones. He took the players' cell phones and was doing this. Players were Shocked. They went to the union. The union opens an investigation. And they indict Babcock for unethical behavior dealing with his players' personal lives. Some players said they weren't bothered with it. Others were just amazed. And the union was aghast. Columbus fired the coach on Sunday night. Yeah. Maybe he should have never been hired because he's been a very successful head coach. Ducks, Detroit, Toronto. He got fired all three places. In Toronto, he was removed for abusive tactics against a rookie player. In Detroit, he was removed after he castigated a young European player who was having, quote, mental health issues. He drove the player off the roster and out of hockey. And you ask yourself, 
how the hell could Mike Babcock act this way towards the most important thing he's got in his career, the players on his roster? Yeah. So he did it a third time, and this time the union interjected, and he has been removed. The rumor is a general manager, uh, Jill O'Kirkinanian, might be the next one that's going to pay the price because he's the one that hired Babcock without doing due diligence about that past track record. Really ugly story, John. Yeah, that's just horrible. I mean, these are professional hockey players. These are grown men. And it's not like he's coaching a little league team here. Um, and and just just the brass balls to ask for people's phones, especially, you know, when you're in your 20s and you're a young person, you probably have stuff on that phone that's private. So, I mean, I don't know how he gets off doing that. I mean, good for them for letting this guy go. That's no way to treat your your team. I mean, that's not the leadership you want. An amazing, amazing track record as a head coach. And he self-destructs again. Hey, that's our Monday bonus podcast. We will be back on Thursday. We hope to bring back Fans Forum and everything else that we provide. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. And a reminder, our Monday bonus podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Fix it. Build it. This fall, you will enjoy it. John, we're both going to get off the disabled list by Thursday. <laughs> Have yourself so. a great day, and we'll look forward to talking to you then. Yeah, hopefully Thursday back in the studio. Let's do that, Lee, if we can. And thanks to all of our followers for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.